know, normally when I when I have to share a message, uh, I'm quite comfortable doing that. However, when it follows or when it has to follow uh, a farewell or a send forth to somebody we have had in our church for such a long period of time, somebody we have worked with, uh, someone we have learned to love and to cherish as brother Claudia and sister Wendy. Uh, it's not so easy because I know the thoughts of many of you right now are still with brother Claudia and sister Wendy and you're probably wondering what's going to happen. And it's in that background I now realize that God gave me a message which he gave me yesterday uh, to share this day. And I actually asked God, uh, this message doesn't seem to be uh, very appropriate in the sense that does it apply to everyone? And the word I got simply was this. It applies to those it needs to apply to. So I don't know who it applies to. I can't be sure. But there, are, there is someone. There are some people here in our midst this afternoon to whom God is speaking very personally. And I'm going to leave it at that because I don't know who God is ministering to this day. And as I go through the, the word, you will recognize why I am linking this with the farewell that we have just given to Brother Claudie and Sister Wendy. So church, let's take a moment and just pray. Father God, we thank you, we praise you, we acknowledge who you are in our life, Lord Father. And Father God, there are times when we understand things, there are times when we don't. But there's one thing we know, Lord, and that is we just turn to you and trust you completely in every situation, every circumstance. And right now, Lord Father, we pray, Lord, that you will minister unto us, Lord Father. The word that you have for us, I pray, Lord, that you will bring it to those into whose ears it is meant to go loud and clear. It could be me. It could be someone else. Father God, speak to each one of us. Because your word is all powerful. And your word is the word which can change. It can change circumstances. It can change people. Father God, I just surrender this time into your hands. And what you have for us, help us to internalize it. Act upon it and be blessed by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right, so let me get down into uh, the message as such. Now, how many of you have received invitations? Now, I know that sounds like a funny question to ask. Okay, uh, how many of you have received invitations? 
It might be a birthday invitation, it may be a wedding invitation, it may be an invitation to a housewarming, it may be an invitation to some function or to some other function. Now I'm sure all of us, in one way or the other, has received an invitation. Now in many invitations, you will notice that there are four letters at the bottom of that invite. RSVP. RSVP. Now RSVP stands for Responde s'il vous plaît. It's a French phrase and it simply means this. Please confirm if you accept or reject this invitation. So when the sender gives you that invitation and there is an RSVP at the bottom, it is implied that that sender of that invitation wants you to confirm to him or to her whether you are accepting or rejecting the invitation. Interestingly, the Bible too has multiple invitations and they all come with the word RSVP. The invitations in the Bible are God's letters of invitation to you and to me. And therefore, it is expected of us that we should confirm to God if we accept his invitation or reject his invitation. Now you may wonder, do we ever reject God's invitation? The fact of the matter is, yes, we do. More often than not, we reject his invitations rather than accept his invitations. And I want you to look at your own lives also and see, have you accepted all the invitations that God has put out to you? Or have you rejected some of them or many of them? So this afternoon, we are going to look at three invitations that God extended to three persons. And we will see what lessons we can draw from them. And so the title of today's message is this. God's invitation requires my response. God's invitation requires my response. Invitation number one. Shall we open our Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 3? And let me read for you from the King James Version, from the New King James Version, verses 1 to 4. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, 
God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now Exodus 3 is all about God's invitation to Moses. Now and this is a very interesting passage of scripture, which many of us have read and learnt from the days of our childhood. And it's always described as Moses and his burning bush experience. But in the words of Moses, in verse 3, he says, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So where is the burning bush? Nice thought, isn't it? However, the bush is burning. That's a fact. Okay, but there is something else to it. So let's go back and see what Moses was doing. Moses was actually just going about his daily business. He was taking care of the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. And I don't know, and the Bible doesn't tell us, what thoughts were running through Moses' mind right then. Maybe he was thinking of his current situation, as many of us often do. He was taking care of someone else's flock. He didn't even have a flock of his own to take care of. Now, some years earlier, this same Moses had been living in the palace of the Pharaoh of Egypt as a prince. He didn't have to take care of anything. Others were taking care of him. But we know the story. One moment of indiscretion turned him from a prince to a murderer. And then he ran and ended up a fugitive in the land of Midian. And here he was, a shepherd. Can you picture his life? A prince, a murderer, a fugitive, and now a shepherd, a hireling shepherd. But all of this was in preparation for a huge task God was inviting him to. Here he was in the desert close to Mount Horeb, and he saw a sight that was common, a bush in the desert burning. Now, if you ask anyone who has lived in extremely hot and dry desert areas, they will tell you that burning bushes are not a strange thing at all. They happen all the time. And so when Moses saw this bush that was burning, it was not a strange thing for him. The sun was scorching, the bush was dry, and all that was required was a spark of fire, and the bush would burn. In fact, botanists and farmers tell us that a burning bush is good. It allows for seeds to be scattered into the wind, to be dispersed for new plants to grow. So one burning bush was not a strange thing to Moses at all, because he's seen it all the time. Now this burning bush might seem strange to you and me, but not to Moses. But what was strange, and that's what he says in verse 3, 
what was strange was that the bush was burning but it was not being consumed he says in verse 3 i will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush does not burn you see in verse 2 we, we read that the bush was burning with fire but the bush was not consumed now this is what caught Moses' attention. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And it is only then, when Moses turned away from his mundane work, taking care of all these sheep that he had, his father-in-law's sheep, when he turned away from that, when he turned away from the things that were occupying him all the time, when he turned away from all of that to see something strange and unique, that is when God called out to him and said, Moses, Moses. Many people have wanted to have a burning bush experience. I wanted that when I was younger, when I was much younger, why should only Moses have a burning bush experience? I also want a burning bush experience. But that was unique to Moses. It was a specific invitation to Moses. That burning bush, the bush which was not being consumed, was God's way of drawing Moses' attention. That was God's invitation to Moses. Let's move on. Invitation number two. Let's read 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Now, all the passages I'm taking today are passages that we have read multiple times. These are invitations we have read multiple times. But I want us to get the message of the invitation. So, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And once again, I will read it from the New King James Version. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again. Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, 
here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. This is another invitation that many of us have wanted to hear. God standing and calling. Calling me by name. Leslie, Leslie. You put your name. But again, yes, I know some of you have heard the voice of the Lord as he has called out to you. But to many of us, this is just another unique testimony of how God reached Samuel in a, in a way that was unique to Samuel. Here was this young boy, Samuel, serving in the temple of God. His job was mainly to serve the temple priest Eli, in addition to opening the doors of the temple of God daily. Did Samuel know why he was in the temple doing what he was doing? Or was he there simply because of the vow of his mother Hannah, the vow that she had made to God, that her firstborn would be given in God's service? Did Samuel know why he was there? Remember, Samuel was a child born after much prayer, and he had been dedicated to serve in the house of the Lord. Now can you picture the life of this young boy? A life of drudgery, just opening and closing the temple of God daily, possibly cleaning it every day, serving the whims and fancies of an aging priest, Eli. How long was he going to do this? How long was he going to go on like this? Did Samuel have an idea? But God knew what he was doing because he was preparing Samuel to be a messenger of his word. So here was now Samuel lying down to sleep when the invitation from God came. Samuel, Samuel. It took God three times of calling before Samuel responded to him. You see, God was preparing Samuel to be a priest because the time of Eli was coming to an end and the priesthood was not going to go to the children of Eli because they did abominable things in the sight of God. So God was preparing Samuel to be a priest. God was also preparing Samuel to be a prophet because he was going to go and speak to kings. And Samuel was also being prepared to be a judge, a judge of God. So you see, God was preparing Samuel 
through his experience in that temple of God to be a messenger of the word. God was preparing Moses to be a leader of men. God was preparing Samuel to be a messenger of the word. Now if you really continue looking at the life of Samuel, you will see that it was Samuel who appointed Saul to be the king. It was that same Samuel who declared that his kingdom was about to be ripped away from Saul. And it was the same Samuel who looked for and anointed David. These were tasks of a priest and a prophet. So it all started with God's invitation to Samuel. And we know as we read on that Samuel accepted that invitation. Moses accepted the invitation. Maybe Moses had reservations, but he accepted that invitation. Samuel had fears. How was he even going to tell Eli that his days were coming to an end? Scary thing. How do you go and tell your boss that God told me that you are out? I mean, it's the boss who tells the, the subordinate that you are out. But here now, Samuel was going to go and tell Eli, God said you are out. Scary thing. Just continue to read that same passage and you'll get it. But Samuel accepted the invitation. And so we come to the third invitation. Luke chapter 1. Verses 26 to 38. Again, a very, very well-known passage, which we'll probably hear again next month. Now in the sixth month, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 26 onwards. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that 
holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now this is the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. Here was Mary, a young woman, minding her own tasks in the town of Nazareth. She was probably thinking of and planning for her forthcoming wedding to Joseph. The Bible tells us that she was betrothed to Joseph and not yet married. And clearly we are told in the Bible that Mary was a virgin and she says that, that she does not know a man. Now it is to this woman, to this young woman, that the angel Gabriel comes with an announcement that would change her life. She was told that she is going to be pregnant with a child. Now in this century that we live in, we just read this every Christmas time, and if we keep moving to the next step. But can you imagine 2000 years back, at that time and in the place she lived in, the news of her unwed pregnancy could have got her killed. We know the story of the woman who was caught in adultery, who was brought to Jesus. And the demand was, what prevents us from stoning her to death? Because the law stated that if somebody was involved in extramarital, premarital pre relationship, that person is put to death. It would be logical to assume for everyone that if Mary was having a child, She has had a relationship with somebody. She was only betrothed to Joseph. She was not married. So Mary deserved to die. You see, can you imagine this news that the angel Gabriel brings to this young woman? In fact, different theologians in different places have even called her a teenager. But doesn't say so. I searched the the Bible doesn't say how old she was, just says that she's a virgin. You can assume that she might be a young person because of the culture of this area at, at what age girls get married, etc., etc. Now, maybe having a child before marriage and bringing that child to the wedding is a fashion these days. But it was a death sentence in the days of Mary. So when Mary heard this news, how did she react? She was confused. She was confused as to how she could be having a child while she was still a virgin. The genetics of virgin birth had not yet been described in those days. 
But there is also one other character we now see in Mary that God had already seen. Mary was not, you know, the, the, the picture that we always get of Mary is that she's a quiet person, uh, you know, she's the mother of Jesus Christ, she's a soft person. But she actually had nerves of steel. Here is a news that, that could be a guillotine on her neck. But she was calm, she was collected, she was quiet, she didn't run around hysterically screaming that her life was destroyed. Neither did she run around to everybody like we would do today and announce that, uh, you know, she's pregnant. And thankfully there was no Instagram and Snapchat and WhatsApp and whatever for her to inform everyone and take a picture of her baby bump, whatever it is, which seems to be the fashion these days. No, she was, she was just calm, she was collected. She had a question which she asked. So Mary was quite cool, actually, if you use today's word. She was a cool woman. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us whether she understood everything that angel Gabriel said. But in verse 38, we read of Mary's response to God's invitation. God was inviting her to a huge task in the kingdom of God. God was inviting this young woman to be the mother of the earthly Jesus. She said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. That was her words of acceptance. She did not reject. Now remember, the time angel Gabriel brought this news to her, she was not yet pregnant. Because it says, if you go back, in verse 35, it says, The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. It's a future tense. Okay, verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb. So you see, there was still a chance for rejection. God said, let me put it across to Mary. Let's see whether she rejects or accepts. If she rejects, it will be somebody else. I don't know. I don't know how God planned it. But Mary, the cool person that she was, said, let it be according to your word. Behold, here I am, the maidservant of the Lord. Mary's life was about to change. And it all started with an invitation from God. So three passages of scripture, three different people, one invitation, three feelings, different feelings. Moses' immediate response was, what am I supposed to say? Why are you sending me? I can't talk properly. Samuel's response was, I'm scared to say what I have to say to Eli. And Mary's response, I'm confused. Three different feelings. 
but they all had one response in the end. Moses became the leader. Samuel became the messenger. Mary became the mother. The mother. Now, how does all this matter to us today? What does all of this mean to us today? Now, we might not be Moses, Samuel, or Mary. We are who we are. But God's invitation to you and to me is the same. From the time of Adam, through Abraham and Moses and Samuel and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets, and through Mary and his apostles and disciples, God's invitation has been the same. God's call, God's invite has always been consistent and it's always been clear. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 9, God called Adam and he said, where are you? In Isaiah 6 verse 8, God asked Isaiah, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And today, we still hear the same call of God. I now understand why God wanted me to share this word today. We have just said farewell to Brother Claudie, to Sister Wendy, long-standing leaders and workers in the church, and who knows, maybe in days to come, others too may leave. Other leaders, other workers. Now, I'm not uh, being prophetic upon any one of you. I'm just saying that's the season we are in. God's work will always go on. God's work is in God's hands. God is in control of every situation. And so the question to, to some of us really is this. What has our response been to the invite that God has given us time and time again? You see, today we still hear the same call of God. And so the same question remains. What is your response? What is my response to God's invitation? There are only three possible responses. Number one is this. Yes, Lord, here I am. Use me any way you want to. The second response is this. No, Lord, I have other things, more important things to do right now. So leave me out. Or you have a third choice. Yes, Lord, here I am, but let me do it my way. Now, I know a lot of us will not choose the second way. No, Lord, I have other things. No, we will not say that to God. But a lot of us say the third statement. Our acceptance is conditional. Yes, Lord, here I am. But let me do it my way. This is the 21st century. 
This is the technology century. God, you come from the farmer century because you created the Garden of Eden. Beyond that, we have gone on to the industrial generation and now we have gone on to the technological generation. And pretty soon we are going to be moving on to the artificial intelligence generation because our natural intelligence, intelligence is going away. I'm always amazed at this computer that I have in front of me. You know, when I sit in front of this computer, suddenly things pop up, which, which seems to address me. And when my wife sits in front of the same computer, things pop up, which suddenly seems to address her. How does this piece of black screen recognize that my needs are different from her needs. I don't know whether this camera is uh, scanning my brains all the time or not. I have no idea. I mean, maybe we don't need to go to hospital and pay 100 riyals or 150 riyals for a CT scan. Just sit in front of your computer screen and it'll scan you. You know, I don't know where technology is going. But that's the thing that we tell God. Yes, God, I'm prepared to do. But I know how to do it. I'm smart. I can do it. But that's not the answer God is looking for. God only wants one answer, and that is, yes, Lord, here I am. Use me any way you want to use me. I am clay in your hands. That's what God is saying. That's the answer God wants from us. Too often, we ask God to control our lives without giving up our personal, self-centered goals. We ask God to help, to help us to get to where we want to go and not where he wants to send us. God, I want to go here. But God says, no, I want you to go here. God says, and then we tell God, no, 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 no. This is where I want to go. And I really have a question to ask God when I get to heaven. Does God know his geography? Okay, but that's a topic that we'll take up, take up on, a, a, on a different time. Moses had his doubts and his, in his ability. Samuel had fears as to what he would speak. Mary was confused at the turn of events, but they all willingly surrendered into the hands of God. I don't know what fears you have. I don't know what is holding you back. But all I'm suggesting today is this. God's invitation is there. And you and I need to willingly surrender ourselves into the hands of God. Let us just choose to turn over the control of our lives and the destination of our lives to Him and not keep the control to ourselves. Let us do what we already know God wants us to do 
and not look for something else that actually interests us. Many of us know this is where God wants me to go. But we have our self-interests and these are pulling us in other directions. Let us recognize and activate the talents God has already placed in us. Not try to search for talents and abilities we don't have. I've always said this and I will continue to say it. I can never get into the choir. That's not my talent. That's not my ability. Unless the choir decides they want somebody who can sing off-key. You know, you're all singing in uh, one note and you want somebody to sing in a different note, call me. Yes. I can sing in any note other than the correct note. Okay. Now let us recognize, let us choose to listen to his voice, to look for his word for direction, rather than listening to other voices, be they voices of men or voices from satanic forces. Before I close, I know we're coming close to the end, but let me give you two more reasons, two final reasons from the Word of God to assure you, to reassure you that God's invitation is real. It's not imaginary. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you for a prophet to the nations. See, you were invited even before you were born. God has prepared the invitation for you and me before we are even created. Just think what an honor it is that we are invited before our birth. That's the God we have. And is it to this God that we are saying, I can't do it? Is it to this God we are saying, I'll do it, but my way? I think we've got to rethink our strategy. I think we've just got to say, yes, God, I'll do it your way. You give me the, the way forward. Tell me the steps. Give me the SOP, the standard operating procedure. Not my way, your way. And the second reason is there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, 
but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. You and I are invited to serve God in his kingdom and under his authority. You and I have a personal invitation and an authorized